All right. Hey, welcome. Preston's already told you happy Mother's Day. Um, Mother's Day, really the month of May, let me just tell you, the month of May is a tough month for me. Um, my wife in here. She's probably back there in that two-way glass room. Uh, man, I thought I was doing good. I'll tell you, I thought I was on the ball. I thought I was ahead of the game. I went a few weeks back and uh, went to the store. I was going to pick up all the cards I need. All right? Um, I, I need a bunch. That's why. I, I have to prepare ahead of time. The month of May now is jam-packed for me. Our youngest son's birthday is in May. Mother's Day is in May. Kimberly's birthday is in May. And so I, I've learned. I've got to plan ahead. And so I did. I went to the store and uh, went to the card section, and I just determined I was going to stay there until I had all the cards I needed. Now, I need a lot of cards, all right? Because I don't know if you understand this. Some of you guys, you do understand this. Ladies, I don't think you quite get it uh, yet. But the guys, we have a lot of pressure on us in May. Mother's Day alone is, you know, and forget my son's birthday, forget Kimberly's birthday. But I had this whole list in my mind, and I should have wrote it out. And here's what I did. I got there, and I'm thinking, okay, here's what do I need? I need, I need Mother's Day, I need birthday, and I need... I need all kinds of things here, and not just not just one. I need I need a bunch. Let me explain this. Um, I started. I thought, okay, I'm going to start with uh, I'm going to start with Kimberly, and I'm going to get I'm going to get her birthday cards. Okay, and I'll just I'll just start there. And so I've got to get her a birthday card, right? That makes sense. So I, I find her a birthday card from me, and then uh, because my kids are too small and they don't have jobs, uh, I have to get them a birthday card for her from them, right? You, you following me? So I'm I'm finding a card. For her birthday from them and for her birthday from me. And so I get those and I'm good to go. And then I got, okay, Mother's Day, all right? And I got to get uh, Kimberly a Mother's Day card. I don't, I don't quite understand this. She's not my mom, but I have to get her Mother's Day card. <laughs> all right? So, and, I, and I've learned this. I figured it out after a year. Um, and, you know, one of you older gentlemen should have, you got to tell the younger guys this. I think this is part of the Titus II mentoring process that you tell the younger guys this sort of deal, all right? If your wife has kids for you, you have to get her a Mother's Day card. So here I am. I'm getting, all right, I got birthday from me, birthday from the kids, and now I get to get her a Mother's Day card from me. So I find her a Mother's Day card from me, but then again, because my kids are too young, they're slackers and don't have jobs, I have to get them a Mother's Day card for their mom. So I'm finding their Mother's Day card for Kimberly. And then on top of that, here I am there. I, I still have to remember that I have a mama, right? And I got to send my mama a birthday, uh, not a birthday card, I got to send her a uh, what is holiday is it? I'm all confused. Mother's Day. Yeah, I got to send her a Mother's Day card, right? So now I got Kimberly's birthday taken care of. Mother's Day for Kimberly taking care of both me and the kids. And now I got to find my mom a card, a card, but from both of us, so that I don't have to get one from each of them. And you know, there's this—it's just overwhelming. There are all these cards. So finally, I got—I got my mom a Mother's Day card, and I got her a grandmother's day card from the kids. And I'm like, okay, I'm going down the list. Do I—do I have all this stuff? And I thought, man, all right, I'm good to go. I'm out of the store. And I, I got all my cards, and I, you know, I've got them all there together, and I'm ahead of the game. And so I come back to the office, and um, Mother's Day is coming up, and Kimberly calls me, and she says, hey, I got, some, I got some Mother's Day cards for us and some, some Grandmother's Day cards for us, because she just assumes that I'm not going to remember, right? Which isn't fair. I understand, but it's not fair. And so she's bought some, and I said, no, no, I, already, I, already, I got it. I'll take care of it. I've already been there. I got them. They're on my desk. I'm going to do it. I'm going to send them today. And so I send them early. I mean, I'm, I'm there, right? I fill out the grandmother's day card and I send it to my mom, fill out the mother's day card and I send it to my mom and I'm thinking, I'm good. I'm ahead of the game. You know, normally my cards get there about Monday or Tuesday after mother's day, but this thing was there, I think Thursday, right? So, uh, Friday, <clears throat> Friday, my mom calls 
She doesn't call me. She calls my wife. All right. Again, probably assuming that Kimberly bought the cards. Right. And so uh, that's not fair. But anyway, um, she calls and talks to Kimberly and uh, I wasn't there, so she didn't get to talk to me. But later on, Kimberly comes in uh, later on Friday evening and she comes in the bedroom. She says, hey, uh, your mom called. She said she got the cards. She said, you know, the kid's card was really cute. And to tell the kids that it's, you know, was really cute, which they don't even know what they got or I got it. Right. But they get the credit. And uh, <clears throat> and so, you know, tell the kid. And I, I kind of remembered because I thought. I was pleased because of all these cards, you know, and all the different options. I thought I found one that was kind of cute. It was kind of a kid's card. It was like a cartoonish deal. And I had a little dog on there, and you open it up, and its tongue sticked out. And I thought, oh, that's cool. You know, I kind of I kind of joke with my mom a little bit like that. And so I, I thought, yeah, it was, a, it was a cute card. I don't remember what it said, but I thought it was a cute card. And she starts laughing again. Like, well, it's so funny. And she says, well, your mom, you know, told me to tell you thank you, but it's not her birthday. Somehow in all this mix-up, I sent my mom this, uh, this birthday card for Mother's Day. I don't, I don't know how I did it, but you understand. I, I know how I did it. All this confusion that's going on. I mean, um, it, it, there's a lot of pressure on us, you know. Guys, let me just give you, let me give you a little bit of heads up. If you do not have kids running around physically yet, but there is one there, there is one in the process, okay, you are required to get her a Mother's Day card. She's not your mom. The kid isn't out yet. But if there is a kid, if there is a plus sign, you are on the hook, okay, from that day forward to buy a Mother's Day card. Not just from you, but you've got you to find one now for her. She's not your mom, but you've got to find one for her as the mother of your child-to-be. But you've got to also find this, uh, you know, from fetus and I card, because the baby has to get her a card, too, Okay. The baby has to get her a card. And so uh, that's, how, that's how my this conspiracy to sell more birthday, Mother's Day cards. Anyway, I'm venting. Where are we? What do you know, what do you know this Mother's Day about a lady named Jael? You ever heard of Jael? Anybody? If you could tell me something about Jael, I'll give you a Mother's Day card. How about that? She does have something to do with Deborah. Get that. I may have to get you a Mother's Day card. Uh, Yes, she is from the story of Deborah. Well, hold on. Don't ruin the whole message yet. Let's pray. We're done. All right. Uh, Yes, Jael. Let me back up a little bit and tell you a story, and we'll get to Jael in the end. But you got to hold on, okay? You got to you got to hold on to get to the end. This is probably one of the most unlikely Mother's Day messages you'll hear um, because it's not about the nice, sweet lady who we think about on Mother's Day that we give roses and candy and we, and we, we spoil, all right, and we, and we talk kindly about and sweetly about. We're going to talk, talk about a strong woman today, okay? We're going to talk about a strong woman. It starts back in uh, the day of Moses, actually, and if you remember your Old Testament, you remember Moses. He was... Uh, Sold, well, he was floated off down the river and he ended up in Egypt. And uh, if you saw the Prince of Egypt, you kind of know the story pretty well. He ends up growing up realizing that he's a Hebrew, realizing name? Zipporah. Yeah, or Zipporah. And uh, Zipporah, she's this Midian woman and she's uh, tending her flocks and she's at this well drawing water for her flocks. And uh, these other male 
shepherds begin to, uh, well, begin to harass her a little bit. And Moses steps up, as he did in Egypt, and he steps up to her defense. And he defends her, and he ends up drawing water for her and feeding her flocks with the water. And uh, she goes home, and she tells her dad, whose name was, anybody know? Jethro. Jethro. She goes home and she tells Jethro, her dad, that, uh, you know, she met this guy, this Hebrew, who, who defended her at the well and drew her water. And her dad says, very wisely, he says, why didn't you bring him home? Why didn't you bring a guy like that home? And so she goes back and she gets him and she brings him. And, you know, the story, to make a long story short, they end up getting married. And Moses ends up working for this Midian priest, Jethro's called. He's a, he's a henist, a henoist. Is that how you say it? Henoist. What am I trying? Not a monotheist. He's not a polytheist. He's a henotheist. A monotheist is a guy who believes in one God. A polytheist is on the other end, a guy who believes in many gods. He's a henotheist. He believes that there's one primary God, but then there's some other auxiliary gods as well. So he's kind of, he's not, he's not on track and he's not off track completely. He's kind of there in the middle. He's a Midian priest. And so he's, in a sense, a Gentile to the nation of Israel. All right? Well, Moses marries his daughter. And Jethro puts him to work. And Egypt, I'm going to use you to get your people out. And then you get the whole Exodus story, right? Moses goes back. He tells Jethro, I've got to go back. I've got to get my people out. God has told me to do this thing. And so he goes back and he, uh, he redeems his people out. And after the Exodus, when they come out of Egypt, they end up back in Jethro's land. And there's a whole scene there where Jethro, this... This father figure to Moses ends up uh, helping Moses to lead the people. And he says, listen, Moses, you can't do all this yourself. You've got to delegate. You've got to put guys in, in charge that can help to judge among the people. And Jethro really helps him out. But there's something interesting there in that scene as well. Jethro ends up converting. Jethro says to Moses, listen, surely after God has done all this for the nation of Israel, surely your God is the one true God. And Jethro, this Midian priest, ends up converting to Judaism. He becomes a worshiper of the one true God. He's seen the power of God, and he says, Moses, your God is the one true God. And he aligns himself from that day forward with the nation of Israel. And so he adopts Moses in this sense, and then ends up adopting Moses' religion. And he's a convert, if you will, to Judaism. Well... Let me show you something here. I'm going to give you a couple passages. Look at Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10 in your Old Testament. I'm going to put some pieces of this puzzle together for you as we will end up in the book of Judges. Looking to enter into the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey that God has promised to the nation of Israel. And before they go, look at Numbers 10 verse 29. Moses is going to do some more evangelism here. Great passage. Then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. Let me, let me help you out here a little bit. Uh, in the Old Testament, these guys didn't typically have last names. And so often, guys would have more than one name. And so when it says Ruel here, that's also who? Do you know? It's Jethro. It's also Jethro. It's just another name for Jethro, who was who? Moses' father-in-law. Zipporah's father. Okay. This former Midian priest who has aligned himself now with Moses and the people of God. And so, verse 29, then Moses said to Hobab, Hobab was the son of Jethro, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. Just to clarify there. Here's what Moses said. We're setting out to the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us 
and we will do you good, for the Lord has promised good concerning Israel. But he said to him, this is Hobab, I will not come, but rather go to my own land and relatives. And then he said, please do not leave us, inasmuch as you know where you should camp in the wilderness, and you will be as eyes for us. Moses does something interesting here for Hobab. He says to really his brother-in-law, right? He says to his brother-in-law, won't you come, won't you come live with us? Now, you've got to get points here. Anytime you ask, and Hobab, he hesitates. He says, no, I'm not going to go. I'm going to stay with my people. I'm going to stay in my land. He's drawn by his old way. And Moses does something interesting here. It's a neat uh, evangelistic technique here. He says, you know what? We could really use you. Now, I don't imagine that Moses really believed that he had to have Hobab on this trip. You've got to believe that God was going to take care and make a way for Moses and the people of Israel. I think Moses realized something right here. I think he realized that if he could just get Hobab to come along, that he, like Jethro, would see the faithfulness of their God, and he'd convert. Well, he does. Hobab says, all right, I'll go. I'll go to help you. Long story short, he ends up, he ends up helping, and uh, Israel ends up blessing him because of the way that God has blessed them. He, he, he kind of falls under this umbrella of blessing to God's people. He converts. He comes to Judaism. He says, in a sense, just like Jethro did, your God is the one true God. Well, fast forward a little further along. Moses and the nation of Israel, now with Hobab and his crew and Jethro and his crew and some others, who have converted and decided to come along, they're going to go and they're going to enter into the land. You remember the story, before they go in, what do they do? They send in some spies. And the story goes that the spies come back and the majority of them say, you know what, we can't do this. They're too big, they're too strong, they're too ugly, they're too fierce. We can't win. There's no way. Trivia question. Two guys say we can do it. Trust that I will get you in. You don't trust that I can defeat that enemy. You don't trust that I'll do what I say I'm going to do. Then I'll let you die out and I'll take the next generation in. But Joshua and Caleb get to go in. There's another guy who gets to go in. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He's a Midianite. Hobab. Hobab and his crew get to go in. Now, jump forward here a little bit. Turn to Judges chapter 1. Joshua Judges chapter 1. In the book of Judges, it comes now after the next generation has been led into the promised land by Joshua. Joshua has led them in. They've set up camps. Uh, they've dispersed the land between the tribes of Israel. And uh, the jobs of the tribes of Israel were to go in and further clean out house. Okay? They were to go in and further rid the land of the enemy so that they could settle the land completely for themselves. In the book of Judges, they've yet to, to do all that. But I want you to see in Judges chapter 1, verse 16, who is still with the nation of Israel. Look who's still hanging out with the people of God. Judges 1, verse 16. The descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the sons of Judah to the wilderness of Judah, which is in the south of Arad, and they went and lived with the people, with the righteous people of God. Not just that, they've aligned themselves with the lead tribe of Israel, Judah. And it says that they have found blessing in them. They're in the, they're in the city of Palms, most likely Jericho. They've found blessing 
in Judah, and they're, they're, they're still walking faithful in Judges chapter 1. After all these generations, they've found their place with God's people. Now, keep going. Flip over to Judges chapter 4. Hang with me here. This is all going to come together a little bit, I think. Judges chapter 4, we're about two and a half generations later. We're about 180 to 100 years later. And um, the nation of Israel is having struggles in the land. And God has put judges, Deborah, who is one of those judges in Judges chapter 4, God puts judges over them to help them deal with uh, the Canaanites, for the most part, in the nation's land. And they're trying to, among the tribes, they're trying to get rid of the enemy within their land. And that was their duty. That was their job. Look at Judges 4. Let's see what's going on here. A hundred years after Judges 1. Start in verse 2. And the Lord sold them, that's the nation of Israel, into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. That's a bad guy who reigned in Hazor, and the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harashath Hagaim. Uh, incidentally, if you have a kid and you want to find a good Bible name for him, uh, be careful when you just start flipping through. Bad king. Named his kid Jabin. Ah, read your Bible. He's probably listening, so I'm picking on him. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera. Now remember that guy, Sisera. And he lived in this area that you can't hardly even say it. Verse 3, the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots. That's a lot. Israel didn't have any iron chariots. And he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. The nation of Israel is in a bad spot. Flip down to uh, verse 6. Deborah does something here. She's going to help the nation of Israel to get out of this spot. And here's what she does. She's going to call on a guy, and his name is Barak. Look at what she says here, verse 6. Now she, that's Deborah, sent and summons Barak, the son of Abedin, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. Those are the tribes of Israel who were, who were stationed in that area. Verse 7, I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river of Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Basically, she says, God wants to get us out of the control of these Canaanites. He wants to get us out of the control of Jabin and his general Sisera. Here's how he's going to do it. He wants to use you. You go in and you do this, and God will do this. Well, look at verse 9. Here's what she says. Here's her response. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera, that's the general of Jabin's army, into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. She says, you know what? Uh, if you don't have the faith in God to do what he says he's going to do, um, okay, I'll go with you. I'll hold your hand. We'll go together. But listen. You're going to fight the battle, but you're not going to get the honor, and you're not going to get the glory. God's going to get the glory, and he's going to get it through a woman. A picture of weakness in this day, to be sure. And so Barak says, well, okay, I'll still go, and I'll do it. And so the story goes that they go, and, they, and this, this battle ensues, and Sisera brings all his, his chariots, all his, all his iron 
uh, horses, if you will, into this battle, into this valley called Megiddo. And they come in, and the story goes that God causes this great storm that floods the area and it makes it all muddy. And Sisera gets down there with his chariots, and they all get stuck. And Barak and his army, they flee down out of the mountains, and it says that they rout Sisera's army. Literally, they pick them apart. Keep going here. Verse 13. Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people who were with him from Harashath Hagaim to the river Kishon. Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot. That means he jumped off and ran. And fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Ahagashath, Hagaim, uh, Harasheth, I'm sorry, Hagaim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. Now I skipped a verse intentionally and I want you to go back. Look back up at verse 11. Because we get this little aside here in the midst of the battle uh, story. We get this aside in verse 11 that's important and it connects back to the story I've been telling you. Verse 11 says, Now Heber, the Kenite. You remember the Kenites? All the way back to Jethro. Through Hobab. Now we get a guy named Heber. Heber is a descendant of Hobab, who was faithful to God's people, who was a descendant of who? Jethro, who was faithful to Moses and God's people. Now we get this guy, Heber. He's the Kenite. And look at what he says. Was he faithful? Verse 11. Now, he had separated himself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. And look what he does. He had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zanaim, which is near Kadesh. He had left the tribe of Judah, which was stationed really further south. And it says that he's left his own people who had historically aligned with God's people. Who would that be? Who's this verse reminiscent of? A guy named Lot. Who found himself at the edge of righteousness and unrighteousness. Facing a city. Uh, perhaps this guy Heber. Uh, scholars believe that he was a skilled, uh, skilled artisan in metalworking. And he found that he was uh, beneficial to the enemy. In their iron chariots. And so maybe he found himself on the borderline. Going between God's people who he had historically been aligned with in his family, and now the enemy of God's people. And he's sitting on the fence. Well, that's who Heber is. Well, Sisera runs. After Barak and his army come down on him, and God floods the area, and his chariots get stuck, and he bails his chariots, and he starts running. He says, we're going to lose this thing. God's going to rout us. And he starts running. Well, he runs. Guess where? Look down in verse 17. Now Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael. That's where we started. Now here's who Jael is. And here's why I told you all that stuff. Jael was the wife of Heber. The guy we just read about. Who had pitched his tent on the border of the enemy. This is his wife. She is a Kenite. Further, look at what else it says about her husband. Heber, the Kenite who had historically been aligned with his family to the nation of Israel. Look at the nation of Judah, where his Kenite family had been uh, housed. 
where they had found comfort and blessing in the nation of Israel. He's moved out now and he's gone to the border of the enemy, probably to grow economically in his, uh, in his trade. And he's found that he is useful to the enemy. And the commentary on his life and his family now is not that they are faithful any longer to the nation of Israel and to God's people, but he has aligned himself with the enemy. And he's sitting on the fence. Now, you get Jael. And Sisera runs out and he ends up at this border and he says, you know what? This is, this is, this is the family of Heber. I know this guy. He's, he's sympathetic to my cause. Maybe I can find refuge in his tent. Look at what he does. Verse 18, Jael comes out to meet Sisera. And she says to him, turn aside, my master, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. And he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. It means she hid him. She offered him hospitality, and she offered him refuge in her tent. Verse 19, he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened a bottle of milk and gave him a drink, and then she covered him. What will milk do to you? Puts you to sleep, right? Relaxes him. Her name literally means little. Is there anyone here you shall say no? What's he asking her to do? Lie. He's asking this woman to now align with him, the enemy of God, with her husband who's defected from the people of God. And he's asking her to lie. Now, without reading the next verse, what do you think Jael is going to do? We don't get a whole lot of commentary on Jael. We don't know a whole lot about her. We get another verse or two. And then in chapter 5, Deborah is going to write a song about her. Let me show you why she gets a whole song written about her. Look at the next verse. Verse 21. Great verse right here. Great Mother's Day verse. How about this? By Jael, Heber's wife. Heber's wife. The one who defected. Let's see what she's going to do. Took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly to him. That means she crept up on him and drove the peg into his temple and it went through into the ground for he was sound asleep and exhausted. I like this last part. So he died. You imagine he did. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said, Come and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And he entered with her, and behold, Sisera was lying dead with a tent peg in his temple. Jael was a Midianite in a big wooden stake about this long. Now, you know where this is going. This morning, um, you don't have to think very hard to know that the title of this sermon could be that God's looking for a few Jaels. Now, let me qualify that. We don't need to run on the hardware store this morning. Guys, you may want to hide your hammers if you're living in sin. Okay? Can I give you just a few lessons from the life of Jael for our ladies today? And guys, you listen up. Because this is a sad commentary on the men in the story. Barak, a guy whose name is Lightning, you would think he would step up and do God's work. He doesn't. He says, Deborah, if you'll go with me, 
Deborah, whose name literally means little bee, what do you get from a little bee? Honey. God says, I'm going to use a little bee and a little goat to take you into a land that flows with milk and honey. I'm not going to use lightning. I'm going to use the weak things of this world. And I'll get all the glory. God's looking for some Jael's. Let me give you a few lessons here, a few obvious lessons from the life of Jael. Number one, we say in the South, we have this phrase, it goes like this, always dance with the one who brought you. Jael's got a choice. Her husband has defected into the promised land and they enjoyed the blessing for generation after generation. For some reason, this guy, Heber, decides that he's going to stray. And instead of staying with Judah and God's people, he's going to go as far as he can go and he's going to camp out on the border of the enemy. And he's going to make himself useful to the enemy to the point that he has an allegiance. To the point where Sisera, when he's running away from God's people, says, maybe I can hide in this guy's tent. Now, Jael's got a choice. She's got a choice whether she can dance with the one who brought her, who is the nation of Israel. Or she could do something foolish. She can go over to the other side and defect like her husband does. She does something wise. She stays faithful to the people of God who got her where she is in the promised land. Number two, she used what she had and she used what she knew. Bedouin woman, she knew how to put up tents. We have no indication from this story that she planned this thing out. We have no indication from the story that she decided uh, weeks before that somehow she was going to be used by God and somehow God was going to use her talents and her abilities and she was going to be uh, used in this mighty way and she was going to catch Sisera. We have no indication of that. Sisera came to her. God brought him to her. And we get one verse. She took what she had, a hammer and a tent peg, gifts and talents and usefulness to the kingdom. You're being fooled. You're being duped by the enemy. You have plenty. And God will use it. Use what you know. Use what you have. Number three, stay obedient. Stay obedient. Stay obedient in the meantime. Maybe I should say it like that. We have no indication from the story that she rebelled against her, her husband, Heber. She was where he was. She was in her house. She was where he was. We have no indication in the story that she was rebelling against her husband. She was obedient as much as she could to her husband. She was doing her duty. She was doing her job. But she was also obedient to God. When God presented her with an opportunity, she was able to take advantage of it. She was in the right place because she remained obedient in the meantime. Number four. Stay ready. Stay ready. Pretty simple. You never know when God's going to bring the enemy into your tent. Amen? No indication that she planned on this. No indication that she had any idea. But she was ready. And when it presented itself, when the time to impact the kingdom for God's sake was there, she took what she had and she did what she had to do. She was ready when the time came. Amen? Let me give you one more. Always defer. Always defer glory. We need some Jael's. And here's what I know, ladies, and, and I want to tell you my, my heart is heavy 
uh, on this topic this morning for various reasons. There are some of our, our ladies who find themselves in a place where those who are around them, perhaps their families, perhaps the men in their life, are not sticking with the one who brought them. They haven't remained faithful to the one who has brought them under the blessing of God. You, you follow me here? There are those of you who find yourselves in places where no one else is being faithful to your God. Where those around you are defecting from the faith. We need some Jael's who are going to stick it out. Who are going to stay faithful when even the leaders in their relationship are straying. We need some Jael's who are going to use what they have They're going to be as obedient as they can be. And they're going to be ready when God presents an opportunity to make an impact for the kingdom. We need some Jael's. Amen? Hey, we need some strong women. Historically, when men fail to step up, women always will. I thank God for some of the women in my life, spiritually. I thank God... I almost didn't preach this message. I almost saved it for July 4th. Can you imagine why? That our nation might find ourselves in this predicament. That we've enjoyed the blessedness of our relationship to God's people. We've enjoyed the blessedness of where we started in a sense of Judeo-Christian ethic in our country. And just a few generations later, we've strayed. We've forgotten how we got blessed in the first place yeah well let's pray I'm done